super excited to be moderating this panel as CBD research is forefront, you know, multi-billion dollar industry, um, very, very cool stuff going on. So I am going to have all of our speakers introduce themselves and where they uh, work, what they do. So John, if you want to get started. Sure. Guess we're just doing this. Uh, hi, I'm uh, John Cooper. I'm the founder and CEO of a company called uh, Ebu. It's one of the leading pharmacology, uh, cannabinoid pharmacology and uh, genetics research uh, firms uh, globally. Hi, I'm Lex Pelger. I'm the science director of Bluebird Botanicals. We're a CBD company outside of Denver. I also run the Greener Grass podcast for them, and I actually just asked this company if I could sit down and talk with them. <laughs> Hi, my name is uh, Dr. Bao Lee, I'm CEO and co-founder of BAS Research. We're located in Berkeley, California, and we uh, primarily do uh, extraction, manufacturing, and research with uh, TEC and CBD. Uh, hi, good morning. My name's Amy Anderley, and I, too, am from Denver, Colorado. I run a dispensary and cultivation facility there called Legal since 2009. And I'm launching a new CBD beauty and wellness company, Leela. It's happening now. And I serve on the board of the Cannabis Certification Council, and we advocate for clean cannabis and third-party certifications. I always forget to introduce myself, but uh, my name is Kristen Yoder. I, I am the BS detector of the cannabis industry. <laughs> I've been in the industry for 13 years, and I've run everything from the first dispensary in the city of LA to one of the largest edible companies in California, including growing and also working at an analytical testing lab across the West Coast. Um, now I'm an advisor, and I make sure that people don't get screwed over in the industry because that's a pretty easy thing to happen. And I also have a podcast called The Cannabis Detector, where I get into the type of BS you need to detect to watch yourself. So with that said, let's get started. I'm going to start with Dr. Bao. Um, what do companies need to know about when dealing with testing facilities, the variance between facilities, specifically in regards to formulating their products? Uh, first of all, I just want to see a raise of hands. How many in this room here are operators or current operators of either a CBD company or a TEC company? Raise your hands. Okay, and how many here are basically just on, want to learn about the industry as consumer base? Great. So as you can see, it's, it's almost like a, what, a 70-30 mix. Thank you for coming out. I think that's what the topic that I'm going to be discussing today is extremely important to me personally. I started out um, in this industry uh, trying to find out, like everyone else as a consumer base, does CBD work and how does it work? That's number one. Number two, uh, my son was diagnosed with autism at age 14 months. He's 10 now. He suffered uh, severe night terrors and grand mal seizures. And as a parent caregiver, um, I didn't have any solutions. So I, I, I basically Googled alternative health care for autistic children. And I found this little video about CBD tinctures, how it helped with children. So. Uh, um, ladies and gentlemen, I've been neck deep in trying to find out those answers. How does CBD work and, you know, um, does it really work? For my son, it has worked for him. I will uh, let you know a tincture that I made between the 11 to 1 uh, uh, high CBD, uh, 11, uh, excuse me, 11 to 1 ratio of CBD THC helped him um, sleep longer and his night terrors went away and eventually we got off Keppra. If you guys know what the Keppra is for antecedent medicine here. Yeah. So today I want to share my journey basically in this industry, right? So dealing with a lot of uh, supply chain, um, it's been very hard to quantify and qualify 
is the material safe and compliant for operators to use as an ingredient, right? Um, so to us here as a panel, we want to share our basic premise is how do you quantify products to be able to call it a research or a product that we can do to help the consumer base. The biggest thing that I've learned is that quantifying smaller batches. So if you have a 50 pound or, or, or a 200 pound batch, you want to quantify that, send it out to numerous testing facilities, meet the tested facilities, meet the, the, the guys that are actually taking the samples, going to the labs and actually look at how they're doing it. Um, to quantify that scientifically is very challenging if you don't have a relationship and if you don't go in their door and sit next to them and say, hey, we're going to test and you're going to show me how you actually do the sample preps and go out there and, and we want to see the COAs or the certification of authenticity to see that if I'm, if I'm using your facility, I need to know and quantify if, if this supply chain is uh, within the regulations of whether state you guys are from. So that is the, the biggest tip for us to learn as, as a lab and also to test and make sure that number one, we're starting out with safe compliant hemp or cannabis-based CBD. And the second thing that I want to share with you is that once you're at that step, how do you quantify what the products you're going to make, right? So the ratios are very important, the terpene contents and what you're mixing a very, very thick, viscous uh, oil with to make it um, pliable for consumers. Whether you're putting that into a tincture or edible or vape pen or any other pills or gel caps, step one is data collection. Step two is meeting the partners that are actually testing and how they're testing and select very carefully about at the end, what do you want to do? Do you want to make a product that you can go out and do clinical, because you have to understand in our industry, we can't call it research and clinical trials. We can do investigation studies. So based on those investigation studies, whether it's anecdotal or personal or trying to make a product to sell in the end market, all of those things are data-oriented collections. So you got to build your science team to understand, number one, what it, what's your end use and kind of work backwards. So what we do in Berkeley is just that. We have a huge QC procurement team that just goes to the farm, quantifies the certification markers that are in the state of California, and also we're expanding to Oregon, and finding out what they're doing as a supply chain. And then we go to the labs, and then what is doing is finding out what is the next step to quantify what we're going to do as genetics or strains, and what's the best for um, throughput. Um, so to me, as a, a takeaway to this, if you're operating and you want to make a product, get with your supply chain from the beginning to the end. Make sure that they're operating on the same premise of what your why is. Are you making a product just to sell and make money, or are you trying to make a product to heal people and have a make a difference in the industry? I came here today, and I hate traveling because I hate to be away from my son, but it's very important for us as a, as a community, as a group, to kind of come together in a small space here right next to Disneyland. Uh, they wanted to come too, but I was like, eh, not, not this time. Uh, but for to me, guys, it's, 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 for me, it's passionate. To me, it's, it's understanding that I'm still trying to figure out the what, the why, and the how. But if we come together as, as a group and have panels like this and, and you know, um, learn from each other, I think that the next movement is nutraceutical, and I hate the P word, but it is pharmaceutical, and we've got to get there. And how we get there is the great brands that I saw in the expo today and the great panelists here to share our stories with 70% of the people here that are making products and making consumer products to people actually, how does it help and why does it help? So thank you for your time and having me here, and I'll pass it back to Chris. I would like to note that the first point you made is a form of BS detection, and that is 
get to know your lab, get to know the people that you're working with, ask questions, always ask questions, always do due diligence, always vet every single person, every step in your supply chain. It is incredibly important to vet them before you get started because it's really painful when you find out there's a weakness in your supply chain and you're mid-production and you have orders waiting or whatever it is. Um, just want to point that out. I, I want to throw one other point on that real quick just yeah. to uh, help people understand that. I mean, especially when it comes to the testing side of things, it's messy mm -hmm. right now. So, you know, a lot, pretty much everything we're doing, we're purifying out every one of the compounds to 99 point whatever percent pure. And we decided we wanted to understand how messy the scene was in Colorado. So we put together a specific formulation knowing that it was 80% one compound, 7% a different compound, 4% a different compound, a couple very specific terpenes, and we wanted to see how close it was, right? On the one that was supposed to be 80%, we, we sent it out to seven of the top labs. Our range related to that 80% came in as low as 68% and as high as 107. And somehow, How is that possible? Right. <laughs> and, they, and they're all state certified labs and all of those results qualified. Correct. That's the that's exactly the point I'm getting yeah. to is where are their standards? How are they studying it? Um, you know, is this something they're consistently doing? Right. You you know, don't just trust the first lab that you go to. No. Right. You need to do some investigation, understand, you know, what are their methods? Um, what are the standards uh, that they're using? How often are they replacing those standards? How often are they recalibrating, et cetera? It, it is, it's very messy on that side of the world. And I think it's going to be very messy for for a period of time. Yeah, that's the biggest problem with testing labs is there is no standardized testing protocol in any of these states. So every lab does it their own way. And having run an edible company, we would also test different labs to see what we would get. And then I'd send the same sample to the same labs again just to see if they got the same results the first time and the second time. It costs a lot of money, but to find a good lab is so worth it. It's incredibly worth it. Um, so Lex, uh, how does CBD work on the endocannabinoid system and what are the therapeutic differences when using CBD isolate versus a full plant extract? Um, it's, it's interesting because when people think about the endocannabinoid system, they usually think of the CB1 receptor and the CB2 receptor. And CBD actually doesn't bind to either of those in the classical fashion. THC does and anandamide does but CBD is actually an allosteric modulator of the CB1. So you'll get a little bit less high if you have a little bit of CBD in your cannabis, which actually can be a good thing. That can protect from that psychedelic high that can happen from modern pot that's so strong. But the thing about CBD is, and I can't make any medical claims for it. We are regulated by the FDA, and so I can talk about the biochemistry, but we don't go into the medical side. Um, but CBD has about 65 different biochemical actions at that level, uh, different receptors that it changes, different enzymes that it changes their effectiveness, and it does such a widespread uh, number of things around the body, it explains why so many people find it helpful for their health. And for the isolate versus the full spectrum, the isolate by itself is a really helpful molecule, it seems like, but we do believe in the full plant extract and the entourage effect. The, the having CBD, a little bit of CBG, a little bit of CBN, a little bit of THC as well, and then especially the terpenes from the plant because cannabis is so rich in terpenes even as plants go. And those terpenes affect how the cannabinoids get into the system in all kinds of ways. That's why 
really when people say indica uh, weed, what usually that means is myrcene terpenes. Myrcene seems to be a terpene that puts people to sleep. Um, and so the terpenes have, even though there's such small levels, they have a really big impact on how all of this works. And so it seems like with the entourage effect, all of these molecules work together for good better than an isolated molecule. But it's hard to do science on 20 to 30 to 80 moving pieces. So chemists prefer to go with THC or CBD or single molecule work. Which is also the basis for pharmaceutical work is to isolate a single molecule to figure out how does that work. But when you have 100 plus molecules, how do you know what's doing what for who in what way? Um, and I always call it the ensemble effect because I just have to say this. I teach a terpene class, and I think it's important for people to understand that in an ensemble, every molecule plays an equal part. It's not just THC is the star, and the rest of them are like fans of THC. Um, but myrcene is found in mangoes. So just saying, if you want to increase the effects, drink some mango juice or something. Um, Like pharmaceutical companies by isolating molecules. I think that's why we're all here as well, is we are trying to figure out what can we do within the restrictions, which is actually my question for John, which is how do companies facilitate quality research that can conclusively demonstrate CBD's efficacy in the current legal environment of cannabis being a Schedule One drug? Yeah, so uh, all the points you brought up are very important points. So I'm going to make probably some very controversial statements that might be in contradiction to even other statements already made. Um, so first and foremost, um, I 100% believe in the entourage effect. I'm actually not sure if I agreed with the definition of the ensemble effect that's there. But I think full spectrum is crap, <gasps> right? I'm just throwing it out there, right? Do so, explain. Yes, I'm jumping in. Um, <laughs> so let me give you a little bit of an idea of the actual research that we've been doing for about three and a half years. So we actually built a drug discovery lab um, and to actually test the things that you're talking about, we actually grow live human receptors, right? And then we're actually taking those live human receptors and we have a, um, a specialized robot that allows us to isolate and put together specific combinations of cannabinoids and terpenes, and then we have a, an instrument that's called a flipper that allows us to measure the biological reaction of what happens when we introduce different combinations of cannabinoids and terpenes to these receptor sites in real time, right? And then there's other type of studies that you can, you can take from there. And so the, the reality is, um, you're 100% right, the, the big pharmacological questions here, 
these aren't all working the same. They're all, they're all doing different things. And the reality is we need to understand what happens when you use one compound at every one of these receptor sites and what happens when you take uh, THC with CBD. Very easy example, but what happens if you're taking THC with lemonine or CBD with lemonine, right? Um, and what actually happens with that combination and what happens when you take CBD and lemonine and myrcene? Right? And, and all the different type of reactions, measuring the you know, agonistic effects, the antagonistic effects, everything that could actually be happening across these things. Um, and so we've actually been building this database that goes directly to your question now for three and a half years. Um, and I will tell you it's a mess, right? Um, what, what's really interesting, and, and I think the point that he was trying to get to, and I think all of us are very excited about this, which is the, you know, cannabinoid, you know the, these, these phytocannabinoids, the cannabinoids that are coming from the plant, is something that's just been very untouched. We've never really been able to study cannabinoids at the level that we need to study cannabinoids. But what we do know is that they're going to be enormously efficacious for lots of different medical indications, right? I promise you there is going to be massive revolution related to anxiety, massive revolution as it relates to pain, massive revolution related to all the stuff that's out there, right? but we have so much further to go to fully understand this. Now, now the problem that we have is multifold as it, as it relates to these compounds, right? The, the first challenge is um, the one that everyone's getting to. These compounds seem to be more efficacious in the presence of other compounds, right? So the, the problem is the FDA style model today is the one that most of us know. If you have a headache, we give you ibuprofen, right? We, we all have in our head one compound is designed to solve the problem. Right? And, and we see some level of benefit, some, you know, some efficacious results with some of the single compounds, CBD on its own, depending on the specific indication you're trying to target. The problem is we can make it so much better with the introduction of one, two, three, or four different other compounds. Right? We, we, and it's not like a 2% increase or a 5% increase. We're talking you know, 10, you know, 2x to 10x to 40x increases and the benefits of these compounds at specific receptor sites, right? All of this is really what's happening at the cell level, right? So we see these massive, massive improvements. The challenge is, you know, we can go down the path and do clinical studies in other countries and, and start bringing this in here and, and prove this out. And a lot of this work is actually really happening already. The challenge is how do you get that approved by the FDA, right? Because the FDA is looking at this and going, well, you know, if it's, it's not just going to double the price, it's going to quadruple the price if you want to study two, if you want two compounds in here. If you want three compounds, oh, well, that's just, I mean, that's billions and billions and billions of dollars in order to actually move forward with that type of product, right? And so there is a fight, and I think one of the biggest challenges in this industry is how is it we're going to overcome making real medicine, right, with these compounds? Because ultimately, especially in any, in any system, it's ultimately going to come down to the question of who pays for this? Right? So are we going to force all of the end users to always pay for this, or is this ultimately going to be something that the pharmaceutical companies are going to be paying for? The, the second part of the problem that's actually really challenging is that, this was a brand new term for me I recently learned, um, the, the, the cannabinoids that come from this plant are considered dirty, is what they call it, right? And so, so what that actually means from a pharmacological perspective is they work on lots of different receptor sites. Right, and so it's you know if we're, if someone taking CBD, CBD is partially active on lots of different receptor sites, right? Um, so so the problem is we couldn't just we can't just target one specific indication with one specific compound because there's a whole bunch of other benefits that are there. Now, why do I say that full spectrum is crap? Um, here, here's my perspective on this. 
the plant is wildly inconsistent, right? And it's creating what I call chemical chaos. There's just so many different compounds that are being produced in this plant, and I promise you it's not being produced consistently, right? And so we have what's called in-house, um, a good example is a fluorescence microscope, right? And so we actually took one leaf, we actually magnified, and we can actually fluoresce the compounds that were actually in the trichome heads, literally almost right next to each other on this leaf. And they were producing different compounds. Same plant, same little section, different compounds being produced in the trichome head, right? So how is it that we can actually ever produce a consistent product using full spectrum, right, that we know what the compounds are gonna be and the effects of these specific compounds because these, you know, the body is very highly sensitive to some of these compounds if the plant itself can't be delivering this consistent. The second problem is, is you have dozens and dozens and dozens of potentially active compounds being produced in the plant at the same time. Some of them are doing what you want. Most of them are actually neutral for what you want. And some of them are doing the complete opposite of what you want. Right? So if, if, you're, if you're then trying to take this full spectrum and you're trying to put that into your body, you actually don't really know what you're gonna get. Now there's, there's a lot of anecdotal information, a lot of really good early studies related to full spectrum from the plant. And we know there's some very positive results that are out there related to, you know, we even, we even heard a story of, of um, his child a little bit earlier. We know there's so much potential benefit. We know that cannabinoids are gonna change the lives of hundreds of millions of people. Or people across the world, potentially even billions of people. We know this has a great opportunity of changing, or you know, replacing a lot of opioids that are out there and a whole bunch of other things. There's just a lot of work to do, right? We're, we're one of the, by far one of the leading pharmacology labs in the world at this point, actually studying and understand this stuff. And we're just at the tip of the iceberg, right? I could have 100 people for the next 30 years and all they're doing is just hammering this and we'll still be learning. Right? The, the cool part is, is this isn't just about CBD, right? I mean, there's so many other really amazing compounds that are to come from this plant, CBDV, THCV. I, I actually think CBC may actually become the most valuable compound that comes from this plant, right? So there, there's so much more that's, that we're really at the tip of the iceberg of learning right now. It's just, it's gonna take us a while to really get through all of this research in order to get there. So I apologize, it was a little bit off topic, but oh, no, I got a camera a couple of Actually, actually, um, let's save the questions for after. I just want to, say one thing, I was just at the Cannabis Science Conference and the keynote was Dr. Didi, I forget his last name, Miri, yeah, I always mess it up. And he was saying that uh, they had a clinical case because in Israel they only have 16 or 18 growers for the entire country. That way they can really track who's growing what and to keep track of the clinical trials and what's working and he said that they had this specific strain they were using for autistic patients, and these kids had a lot of violence and aggression and, and anger problems, and this one strain did really well for them, um, but then the grower didn't have it. So he was like, based on the THC and CBD percentage of this one strain, have them use this strain in the meantime. And with that strain, it ended up making their anger and everything way worse um, and there were a lot of bad side effects and his point was it's not just THC and CBD their whole point of their research there is to figure out the few molecules out of that one strain it's as little as you can get to know what exactly is working for this specific illness so you're right it's it's not everything that's just too difficult to even know but just from strain to strain, it's by no means just THC and CBD. There's so many other variants. Right. 
Yes. So let me ask you your question, and that is how do you explain new research coming out to consumers? How do you stay on top of that, and how do you help them understand everything that's coming out all the time? So thank you. Yes. Um, I, I was glad to see who in here actually is running a company and then also that there are consumers. So as a business owner, taking it way back, working in cannabis in Colorado, same thing. We, we were working when there were no testing labs, right? And our whole philosophy was organic and sustainable. It's how we ran our life, how we bought our food, how we bought our eggs, our coffee, or anything else we were doing, but we didn't know how to do that for cannabis. So, you know, with, in the absence of research, and in the absence of a really clear certification process, we had to, again, look at our supply chain and just what you were describing, like get in there, look at the labs, go take a tour, see what they're doing, make sure it's consistent, go back, uh, trust but verify, you know, unfortunately. When you send out product to have something made, test it on the way out, test it when it comes back to you too. You know, in, and it is a little bit of extra money, but it's going to help save your reputation, which crushes people right now. If you, you know, have something recalled or, or a, a, a bad test result as, as, a, um, as an outcome to that. So, you know, I work with this certification council and we started thinking about what's part of the problem here? Yes, there's no research, but consumers have no way of understanding what they're getting and they're not empowered because the people teaching consumers what's in their product and what's good for them are the people who have the most money to market their products and to teach you what it is that you should know. We as consumers are still, I mean, in our shop, you know, it, the, the, the power has to shift between the folks coming in, they demand what's on our shelves, not what we just have there to offer them. But this goes back to a culture with cannabis where you got what your dealer gave you. Right? So now we have to switch the conversation to saying consumers need to know all this. And all of the research that's being talked about up here, how are they possibly, you know, they, oh, I want to buy a supplement, I need something that helps me sleep. They go somewhere, they expect that they're getting trusted counsel, whether it be at a store or online, but they have to be empowered to dig deeper. Well, who's teaching the consumers about that? And so there's a, you know, it's, it, the responsibility lies on the consumers, yes. We were taught how to shop for eggs, free range, cage free, pasture raised, whatever your preference there. Milk, we know about no BPH in bottles, we know how to look for fair trade coffee, but we're not asking the same questions in cannabis and or in the CBD market, which is how do you certify that what you say is in here is there? Certificate of Authenticity, excuse me, and then asking about those test results. But that's not even enough because that doesn't talk about dosing or exactly what other molecules are available. So I think there's a challenge because as groups like this are doing research or investigations and they're gathering anecdotal evidence, you have more and more of a population that's stepping to CBD products and looking to help them in, I mean, in every possible ailment. And how are they getting the information and who are they getting it from? So to consumers, triple, quadruple check what you know and who you're getting that um, research from. And then as 
the you know the the folks here that run businesses and that are thinking about this and that value a quality product you know think about your sourcing where is your CBD coming from you know the closer you can get it to a farm you can walk around the better we don't all have that as an opportunity but um, I heard some I thought we were getting heckled from the back <laughs> um, and so I, I think that it's it's twofold and it's unfortunate now, why does this matter so much right now? As these investigations and these anecdotal sort of um, information is being shared, people are evaluating their products based on what they've purchased. The closer they can get to a raw product, not having pesticides on it. Because pesticides are going to interact with your body just like all the other molecules that we've talked about. Um, residual nutrients, what, whatever is in the... Um, sort of the, through the extraction process, whatever derivatives or other ingredients are in the products you're buying. So it doesn't just matter what the CBD is, but what's every other ingredient in that capsule or in that vape pen? And how does that affect you? And is that going to sort of shift how your body is reacting to it to get the desired effect you're looking for? So, you know, it's, it's cyclical in that it has to start from the science side. Yes, the government, uh, you, you wish that everyone was doing more from an education standpoint, but there's a responsibility on us as the, you know, the, the business owners selling the product, but there's also a responsibility of, as you consumers to find out more, ask the right questions. Where did you source your CBD? What are your other ingredients? What is the dosage I should be taking? Can I, can I just ask a question on that comment? When you get a little bit deeper, John, what you're saying is we can't answer those questions. We actually can't tell the consumer what works and what doesn't because you're telling me that even a different, that same plant produces different results. So isn't that, doesn't that, so I mean, if, if a guy like me, I'm coming in, but I take this tincture, that tincture, this tincture could help, this tincture could actually send me into convulsions. Is that, is that what I'm hearing you saying? Is, well, how do you how do you address this problem when you don't have the science? That's, I know that's for, the problem. Yeah, <laughs> for for us, I think that's part of why sort of clean cannabis and 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 making sure your CBD and, and where it's sourced from is so important. But I don't know that the spectrum is quite that great. I think that one is either going to be effective and one is going to be less effective or have some other desire. I don't know that one's going to send someone into convulsions. I, one. I, Right, but but I think that organic and no pesticides and you know, clean farming. I think what mm -hmm. we get that is a consumer. Right. But if science can't answer the question, well, I, I would say we we can answer a lot of questions. A lot of it's just not released yet, and we're doing more further validation across things. I mean. You know, 50% of the known industry knowledge that's out there, I think, is probably just wrong, right? Is my general impression based on most of the stuff that we've been testing, um, you know, at this point. And, uh, um, you know, at the, you know, funny example, I'm going to pick on you just a little bit, I apologize. Um, you know, we, we actually know on the CB1 receptor, um, you know, if you have something that's a lower level of uh, CBD, CBD um, will actually um, uh, significantly increase the effect of THC at the CB1 receptor actually getting you higher, right? It does that, are you speaking about the biphasic quality of CBD where smaller amounts can have more of a stimulating effect versus a higher amount? 
Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, then you kind of just start filling up the receptors, and you're not going to get. It, it, there's definitely a level that's there, but you know, we know that that CBD will almost triple the high that you're going to get, at least the reaction uh, perspective uh, from a potency perspective um, at the CB1 receptor, right? So, you know, it, the problem is, is that we're not dealing with, with um, you know, something that, you know, is a CBD will always make you much higher because if you have something that's 90% CBD and only 10% CBD, THC, that's not true. So right? it's a Even ratio 50-50. thing? We're dealing with ratios. We're dealing with the presence of other compounds that are there. We're dealing with a whole bunch of different things. I thought, I thought the CBD actually interacted with the and thereby uh, allowing more THC to have a higher potency. I didn't want to go into all the different details, but... <laughs> well, I right. I mean, so, so yes. I mean, there's a whole bunch of technical stuff we can get into as to why it's <laughs> happening and whether or not they're direct effects or indirect effects. And, so is your system a high throughput system? Yeah. We actually studied somewhere between, uh, you know, it's 96 well plates or 386 well plates, 384, that one, one of the two. You're measuring direct hits, basically. It's almost like a hit, right? And there's no, nothing translational beyond that except for that receptor interaction. There's multiple different ways that it actually measures the different interactions there. So um, there's, you know, I, I'm probably not the specialist in terms of understanding that, but, I mean, we're... There's, there's multiple different things that we can actually study at the same time um, based on that interaction and basically the output. I mean, basically what we're, for anyone who super wants to geek out right now, um, what, we, what you're actually measuring in these cases is the output of things like calcium from, from the cell that the receptor sits on. Um, and so you have a very powerful camera that um, pretty much what happens is you have a, what's called an assay. Right? And so within the assay, we put in about 50,000 cells into each one of these little tiny wells that actually has a specific expression of a, a receptor on there, right? And then pretty much they're all dosed at the same time, like this, like this, right? And there's a camera under it that actually then can measure that output in real time, and it's just taking, uh, you know, nonstop pictures related to it, which then we actually translate into an almost immediate reaction, right? So we actually can see what happens before, we, we see what happens when it hits, we see what the kind of the tail of that looks like, and that tells us an incredible amount about both potency and strength of effect at each one of those receptor sites. But you can, you can measure it lots of different ways at the same time. So actually, um, let's open up the floor to questions. We have a short amount of time. The microphone's right there if you guys want to get in line. Um, it's right in the center of the room. I'll, I'll say one thing to this, this thing is as, as my dad taught me a long time ago, you do one thing, you do it well, right? So he's doing something well, you're doing something well, we're all doing something well. But as a consumer level and doing with a lot of formulations, we, we've done formulations for the top 15 uh, disp uh, vape pen dispensary, excuse me, vape pen companies in California. They're, right now, if you took a consensus data on the top 15 vape pen companies in California, they're selling $35 million a month in sales. $35 million a month. Somewhere in California, people are medicating with vape pen or vaporizers, right? So there's a lot of oil being made. There's a lot of money being made. On the consumer level, I don't have the background that Yubu has, but on the consumer level, formulation is the key right now. There's no longer high TC, low CBD, high CBD. It's ratios. How, what ratios of what? So anecdotally, as a consumer level, if you want to pay your bills and make your money and sell lots of vape pen companies right now, that we're waiting for researchers to, research to come out, but how do you make your products and how do you make your end 
month and how do you make money? Ratios right now, we're, we're on our lab right now for homogenations and being within 10% variance of the state of California for homogenization for passing vape pens to the market, we have a six month wait time for formulation right now because every product and everyone that wants to make a product right now is all about ratios. So if you want to look into anything besides the science and reports, look at ratios and look at what dispensaries are buying and what are they buying it for. So I just want to throw that in there real quick. What is your question, sir? Uh, my question is, uh, uh, the question is the difference between a, a CBD in hemp and in a marijuana plant. No difference. Nothing. Exactly the same. Same molecule. Molecule is a molecule is a molecule. I always say it's, that. It's the same plant, right? I mean, the reality is it's, it's separated by a regulatory definition, but it's the same plant. So we're looking at the same molecule. Same yep. molecule. Yeah. And, and by the way, if, if you had CBD produced in a different plant, it's still CBD. It's the same molecule. And the other question that I have, I was at a dispensary lately, and I was looking at some products. Mainly, some of the new products have born date on them. That's the, just the date there. This is very interesting. Some of the manufacturers are putting a born date on the strain, on the product. I was wondering if that is going to continue, or is it something new? Is that required by California law now? Yeah, so we, yeah. we track actual, yeah, we do, yeah. We do track of harvest date. We, we don't say um, born date, we do harvest okay. date. The product actually had a born date on it, right? Yes, yes, so what we do That's is- That's a marketing term. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Har harvest date or production date, expiration date. We're trying to be as granular as we can for the consumer level to pick and choose uh, what they want to buy. So the product, most of the product have a two year shelf life, correct? In given- I mean, very variable, but very mostly years. about two years, right? So basically, that born date is for that two years. You know, the born date is when it came out of the ground when I bought it from the, from the farmer. So and the two years, two years is from day of cultivation. No, the harvest date. Harvest date. It's the exact date that they took it off the ground. If it's seasonal, it's outdoor, indoor, light depth, or whatever. When it, the plant actually qualifies to be sold from a cultivator to a manufacturer, that's the harvest date. Okay. And two years is not, I mean, yeah, degradation, light, yeah, heat, I, I mean, it really depends on how you're storing your product, what is your product, what form is your product in, but two years is not yeah. good. Yeah, since there's no one else here, so I'm going to keep asking questions. Wait, 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 I had one thing I'd like to say that I would like to get your opinion on. When I was a bud tender, it hurts me to say this, but I would, I believed in the sativa is a head high, indica is a body high, hybrid, blah, blah, blah. And I would always ask people, what are you looking for? And I got to tell you, placebo is 50-50. So many people still to this day are like, oh, man, I can't have a sativa because it keeps me awake, which sativa and indica isn't even correct. It's the terpene profile. But I would like to say that when people believe the person they're purchasing from Sometimes they get the same therapeutic effect on different profiles. So it's, it's very interesting because we have research, but the more I learned, the less I knew how to buy cannabis. <laughs> you know, the, once I learned about terpenes, I'm like, oh my God, how do you even purchase anything anymore? You know, I found that to be a big problem. So ignorance is bliss, I would just like to say. <laughs> So right now in the industry, there are some companies that are marketing some products that are quote unquote water soluble. Mm -hmm. So if you can uh, 
elaborate on that? Uh, what would be the difference? Or is that really uh, a marketing term that actually works or not? No, like we have a solution right now. It's 25 nanometers, won't fall out of the solution. I mean, there's kind of a gray area in terms of what's the definition of water soluble. But like with our solutions, perfectly clear, it goes into solution. You could put it in a centrifuge at 16,000 to 1 gravity and it won't come out, right? It'll sit there for forever, essentially dissolved into the water. Works great, hits within 15 minutes. I mean, so there's a number of different actual ways of making that happen today. Um, the one point I was actually going to go to based on both comments that you guys made related to formulations, um, so we, we actually do have a human studies team related to um, how to actually deliver specific effects. And so um, we've been studying in a quantifiable way um, how to measure these subjective reactions for a period of time through double-blind studies. They're, these are what, using what are called visual analog scales. It's the way to think about that is when you go into a doctor's office, if you see a pain chart, right, that goes from happy face to I'm going to kill myself face. That's what a visual analog scale is. And so there's, there's, you know, we use about 60 different questions. And what's been fascinating about this is that, let's say that we want to give someone a chill experience, a very specific chill experience. Um, to our amazement, you know, if we use four or five or six very specific isolated compounds and specific ratios, doesn't matter if a person's young or old or black or white or male or female or heavy user or light user, we can almost get every single person to experience the same thing in these double-blind studies. Um, and we can do that with energy and create and blissful experience. And so I, I think you're going to see kind of a next generation of mainstream products that will come onto the marketplace over the next three to five years that will be able to deliver on targeted sensations. Um, and I think this is going to be enormously important because, I mean, you, you guys were, you know, you worked in the dispensaries and everything. Like most people aren't walking into a dispensary and saying, hey, I want to get high. Right? I mean, people are like, hey, I'm coming, you know, I, I need something to help me chill out, or hey, I want to go skiing, or hey, I, I want to feel good while I'm vacuuming, vacuuming my house. Right? So it's, it's being able to deliver that consistent sensation that's supposed to do what it does every time. And I, I promise you the research is coming with the right products and solutions. It's just there's kind of a commercialization process that's happening at this point. But by labeling something chill, placebo effect possibly. Possibly. It, it's I, I dare people to go in to buy cannabis without thinking indica or sativa and then see what you actually feel. You know? what I mean, when you have a preconceived notion of what you're going to feel or you believe the authority that tells you, that might be what you feel. But if you didn't have that, how does it work for you? Right. I, I'm just saying no placebo. Like, you're not telling the person anything. You can direct a sensation. Yeah. So one, one last question is, if you have a... Uh, young student that wants to study this field, mm -hmm. where would he start right now today? Google, just kidding. <laughs> now, are there any academies that are actually uh, being popped up right now or not? The, not you, really. I mean, uh, actually, Pennsylvania is one that just approved a bunch of money that should be going towards research. But there's great research labs all over the world. In this country, in Spain, there's, they're doing great work. Israel's another hub. Yeah, Israel. As well as the, yeah, um, as well as the Netherlands somewhat. Um, yeah, in, in Israel, in the, uh, the cancer wards, they have vaporizers, um, volcano vaporizers in the oncology ward, uh, which is, and, and have studies coming out of that. But it depends what level you want to get into, too. There's all kinds of work, physiological level down to the biochemical. If you want to get into the cannabinoid field in science, it's a really great time because even to scientists, this is still like, ooh, you're, you're edgy. You're out there if you get into the cannabis thing, and that's a great place to be. It's the same thing in the business world. and. There's a, just so many unanswered questions. 
uh, it is annoying though when people are like, oh, we, there's not enough research. It's like there's, there's tens of thousands of papers. I mean, to read through what's known now would take two to three years of straight reading. The problem is, is they conflict. Yeah, and even, you know, and what happens at the CB1 receptor conflicts. The data is all over the place, you know? It, it depends on a lot of different factors. Thank you. Um, yeah. Hey guys, I uh, just want a quick question for you. I really, it's an awesome um, panel here. This is great. So with all the, what's, what's interesting to me is we're opening up a, one of the first retail stores in Texas. It's going to be a CBD retail store Yay! in uh, October, grand opening. And, you know, so we're talking to our suppliers and just the whole debate about, you know, just getting a CBD isolate oil versus the, you know, the entourage effect and having a full spectrum product. So it's just... It's fascinating. My, my real job is in pharmaceutical, unfortunately, shame on me, I'm in the pharmaceutical industry, but, um, but, but I'm, uh, but this is, it's so fa fascinating because I, I want to ask a question to John specifically on the, uh, so when you think about all the different C's, right, all these cannabinoid molecules, right, and all the different effects they could have, um, thinking about that opioid receptors, right? There's the mu receptor, the kappa receptor, um, you know, the addiction receptors, right? So mm -hmm. I guess the key is going to be finding which cannabinoid will work to agonize or antagonize these receptors, right? Because um, it's going to be huge and a breakthrough if we can isolate and figure out, oh, this is the one, right? Mm -hmm. The question I have, though, is who and how will these studies be, you know, is going to pay for this, right? And then if it is big pharma, you know, they're going to obviously then patent that. And then how's that going to affect the whole, you know, they the whole have world we're living in? Insys Therapeutics has patented CBD, and they're the people who made fentanyl. So I wonder what their research looks like. Sorry, go, John. <laughs> I like her. Um, so... It's a really good question. The IP space related to um, cannabis is going to be a big mess for a while, yeah. right? I mean, we probably have one of the top three patent portfolios in the world at this point, right? And the question is, what does that mean, right? Right. No one really knows what that means and, and how to actually support that. And a lot of it's just based on the evidence and the data that you're really applying for associated with that. I mean, for, for people who haven't done a lot of patent work, there's there's two key things that you're really working on. The first one is, um, is this novel, right? So can you prove that no one's ever done this specific invention before? But mm -hmm. the second part's actually more important, which is, is this obvious? It's kind of a weird question to ask, right? But you have to actually demonstrate something is not obvious and you need the data to be able to actually support that's not obvious. And, and ultimately when it comes to claims or, you know, potential litigations, because I think we're going to probably start seeing a lot of shots fired 18 mm -hmm. to 24 months ago in this, in this industry. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to be the, the ultimate question. What data did people submit and, and related to that data, you know, how, how strong is that claim that they put within that specific patent portfolio is going right. to be the big question. Now, mm -hmm. the, the second challenge, of course, then related to this is how important are going to be, how, how important is the polypharmacological approach versus the monopharmacological approach, right? So single yeah. compound versus multiple compounds, Huge. right? So, you know, boo opioid is very interesting, right? I mean, right. we're doing some really cool stuff with that right now. <laughs> and, and the, you know, we've done quite a bit with CB2 and capsaicin receptors and, and um, uh, everything like that. In, in every case, we haven't seen a single compound that's as efficacious as the multiple compounds, wow. right? When, when, as it relates to these different, you know, the, the ways that we can move forward. 
doesn't mean that you won't have an efficacious solution that can take out opioids. Um, now, here's the other one that could be really interesting is it, let's say that the world decides to go down the path of um, polypharmacology and the FDA really does change their stance as it relates to this. There's potentially strong benefits, and I think there's some evidence already that you know we can potentially point to that says, what if you combine an opioid and a cannabinoid together? You only need 10% of the actual opioid amount that you wow. need to get the same benefit from that opioid while producing something that's of significant, you know, healthier benefit for that end user, right? I mean, very fascinating if we can go down that path. We think that that's actually a possibility as well, but but the ultimate question is, will that ever be allowed? Right. right? right. And, and it's really sad if it's not allowed because we know this is much healthier than the crap that's out there. So when you take it to a human study, though, you're going to have to have multiple arms of the study to see, you know. With all, it's stupid. It's insane. Right. So, I mean, I think we're going to see all stage one and stage two outside the U.S., right? Because there's no way to cost effectively do that here. It's not a very clear pathway for doing anything in the U.S. at this point. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see massive adoptions of this. I mean, there's 30 potential countries right now that are looking at uh, medical cannabis. And mm -hmm. I think we're going to probably see... 50 to 100 countries around the world that fully adopt medical cannabis before we see a true adoption of that here within the U.S., right? Wow. We're going to see the acceleration of Canada, Germany, most of Europe, Australia, New Zealand, um, parts of Africa, mm -hmm. uh, parts of Asia, et cetera, India, um, that are all really starting to flip right now. Um, and, you know, uh, from a research perspective, and we, we can do some early stage stuff, animal studies, um, the actual... Uh, cellular studies and everything here in the U.S., but the reality is every single one of my clinical there. studies are going to be out of country. Yep. Uh, and just a, two interesting pieces of science um, about what you're talking about. Some of the first research ever done was cannabis and opioids. Uh, was in San Francisco by Abrams um, about 20, 30 years ago now. Um, but he was the first one to really actually use cannabis, green cannabis, not an isolated molecule, and do that work, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. The other really fascinating part is something that's a very new piece of science is dimerization of receptors. And it turns out that some of these receptors, like the CB1 receptor, will make a dimer complex with the mu opioid receptors. And so it's so new that a lot of those downstream effects, they're not known, you know, maybe you guys are working on the underground, but you don't see much about what the downstream effects of that are, but the CB1 receptor forms dimers with a number of the major wow. receptors out there. And we don't even know how that mechanically happens. It might be the lipid raft theory that's been floating around. Right. But um, it's another brand new piece of science related to the cannabinoids where it just muddies the picture even more. And it actually speaks to what I think you were talking about in the back, about how we talk to um, the consumers about this. And for all the biochemical knowledge out there and a, a doctor who's been doing this in the underground for 30 years, they're not going to know what works for a person as well as that right. person is. You are always right. going to be the number one judge, especially with cannabis. Like a single pill, your doctor might be able to tell you what's going to happen because they can be pretty direct in their actions. But cannabis will never be that way. Right. And we're always telling people you have to be your own, uh, take it into your own hands and experiment to see this, the cultivars that work for you, the times of day, the amounts. And you have to be the one to take your health into your own hands. I mean, it's the same with pharmaceuticals. They give you, oh, hey, try this. And then you're like, oh, my God, I blacked out. And then I bought a bunch of stuff. Or like, yeah. I don't know, I keep waking up and all the food is missing, yeah. you know? Yeah. You, unfortunately, same with cannabis, except you're not going to die or do anything stupid, hopefully. Um, but I mean, it is what it is. And don't you love, the more we learn, the less we know. Right. And, yeah. and I think the point, the most important point that was said there was, 
this is super complex stuff, right? Just we can't just look at this and isolate it and try to make things very black and white, right? We're we're all very good at trying to make things very black and white. There are so many moving parts and pieces and and relationships of this actually causes this in the body and everything. It's you know the the holistic picture of what's happening here is a super complex thing, and this is why I said you could have. You can have a thousand people, ten thousand people, and all they're doing nonstop is studying this, and they're going to be doing this for decades and decades and decades before we really start understanding this stuff, probably at a, at a much deeper level to understand how some of these synergistic effects are working across that body. Thanks, so we'll guys. take one last question, and then you can you. find us afterwards. Speaking of not black and white, um, can I get a reaction from each of you on uh, epidialects? Am I saying that Ooh, right? Oh man, don't get me started, bro. Well, I mean, it blew my <laughs> mind that nobody seemed to notice that the federal government that Dick Nixon used to run um, has now said that cannabis has efficacy. Right? That Dick. That seemed mind blowing enough to me. But what do you what did you think of when you saw that epidialect? I would just like to say one thing yeah. first before them. Um, I am releasing a podcast episode about epidiolects and the trials and the fact that 10% of the trial patients actually had seizures from it. And I think that speaks to the fact that using a single molecule to treat uh, anything can actually have side effects versus more molecules. So okay, you can go. That's the first thing I didn't understand. It is just CBD molecules. I don't know what else it. is in it, but it seems like CBD isolate, right? Let's, let's what can you tell us, guys? First. Yeah, thank you. Well, um, well, I'm not surprised that um, a pharma, uh, sort of pharmaceutical company would jump in this. I mean, they've been losing millions of dollars as a result, just like I think alcohol is right behind it and getting involved as well. Um, I, you know, we have patients that have asked us about that that come to us for their seizures, for epilepsy, for other ailments. Um, and I think they're as skeptical as we are um, because you know that there's a good chance that it's going to be corrupted because of that isolation and because of what else they're going to do to it. So I'm just waiting to see right now, but not surprised. I'll keep my comment brief. Um, I saw a wrap up sign mm -hmm. back there. Uh, I, I'm, as a father, I think it's great. I think that pathway to pharmaceutical and, and solving certain issues are great as a father because my son has suffered through seizures, grandma. Um, as a business in this industry, I think it's very dangerous. We can't always lump one. If it doesn't work for you, then then what? Then we're going to go back to the other drugs that may not be as, as safe or less addictive side effects. So I think that um, it's good that GW Farmer did all this and the pathway for us and other companies like you to kind of do the same thing in a financial sense because now, now he knows how much it costs to actually make <laughs> an FDA approved uh, cannabis quote unquote uh, cure or solution. But uh, like you said, we're just starting. So um, I'm kind of half and half on that one. Um. We saw one of the epidiolics guys not too long ago, and they leaned over to us, and they said, we're about to give you a bunch of free advertising, <laughs> uh, which is part of what it is, I think. Uh, I actually hate this uh, pushback against pharmaceuticalization in total and in general. It seems like a, an almost stupid witch hunt. Pharmaceuticals have been an important part of medicine. I mean, I don't, I think it's unfair. Um, for this specifically, especially, because yes, for most people, all they need is the cannabis from your dispensary or from your CBD company. Um, and that's what they need for their health and wellness. But when you're dealing with very, very serious conditions, um, and you're dealing with doctors or parents who won't go outside this pathway, 
this is a really important way to do it. And there's the last wrap-up sign. Um, so I'll let you uh, throw in the last two cents. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, um, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a necessary evil, right? I mean, if we actually look at who's probably going to move the federal government the most right now, it's going to be people with major lobbying dollars, and they're starting to get on board with where this needs to go. I know it's not a very popular answer for a lot of people, but legalization is going to happen in the U.S. when all the big companies are basically now showing up and going up, we can make money on it. Yeah, when it becomes a schedule, too. Thank you. Thank you.